Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy news for conservatives today. Jim, let's start with the good and that uh, kids in Chicago. Hey, you get to go to school again. The teachers union there has decided to go back to uh, in-person instruction. Uh, They didn't get much, it would appear, in terms of concessions, basically testing levels that would revert back to remote learning. But essentially... This little stunt over the past few days has kind of blown up in their face. No national Democrats, or at least not many, ever went along with it. But the Chicago Tribune reports that a proposal for Chicago public schools to resume in-person classes Wednesday has been approved by, and Jim, I love this, the Chicago Teachers Union's House of Delegates following a contentious week-long standoff. The delegates voted Monday night to suspend The union's work action that saw teachers refuse to give their lessons in person, prompting the cancellation of the last four days of school. So they'll officially go back on Wednesday. Hopefully they stay there. Uh, So, Jim, this is good. Uh, This was uh, the left. Their instincts to to once again put kids last uh, blew up in their face uh, because now you even have some national Democrats who realize that this is doing a tremendous amount of damage to kids. Yeah, now if listeners want to say, boy, guys, this really just barely clears the threshold for a good (laughs) martini, I'll agree with that, meaning that they never should have closed classes. Um, And let me just observe that, like, you know, Chicago public schools, they know how to stay open in snow, unlike here. Um, But just one of those things where you kind of wonder what the whole point of this thing was. Uh, A bunch of certainly not a lot of details about what actually changed. This did look and feel like the Chicago Teachers Union basically flexing their muscles and a little bit of credit to Lori Lightfoot, not a ton, for, for vehemently objecting this. There's a detail in a story from WGN, local uh, station out there. Lightfoot reiterated the danger of remote learning Monday night, saying the city's previous stint of virtual instruction aided the loss of 100,000 Chicago public school students, accounting for nearly a third of city schools population. Wow. A third of the students disappeared. What was it? Alien abductions? You know, just this bizarre, you know, like it's hard to paint a picture of greater failure than something like that. Uh, I think we now know everything we've ever needed to know about the character and the judgment and the priorities of the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, It doesn't feel like there's been some sort of like, you know, colossal change in all this. So it feels like a giant waste of time. The marginal good news here is that it only cost four days worth of school. It does feel, and if it didn't succeed here, it hopefully... Uh, this will either slow the momentum, halt the momentum, or reverse the momentum of similar efforts that we saw in New York City and San Francisco and other places like that. So I'm not going to lie, folks. This is not a great, this is not a terrific Bartini, but this is a, hey, Chicago kids are going back to school. That is something of a win considering the state of things. It's a things are slightly less insane Martini. There you go. Marginally <laughs> oh. more sane Martini. <laughs> So, Jim, they lost 100,000 students over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, and, you know, you figure some of that is folks going to private schools, uh, those who can afford it, of course. Uh, Some of that might be people who moved out of Chicago. I imagine if you had that option, uh, living in a big city during the peak of a pandemic where you're all living very close to each other, all of a sudden the suburbs start to look pretty attractive at a time like that. Um, But generally, I I suspect that, you know, what you're going to see here is generally in the most at-risk youth, the ones that are in the poorest neighborhoods, the ones that don't necessarily have uh, the best support structures, families around them, things like that. 
those are the kids who are just going to not log in uh, to say nothing of having tech issues. And, you know, are you connecting? So good luck to you if you're on the south side of Chicago in a poor neighborhood or something like that, where you're trying to log in either through a laptop if they provided one to you or more likely, you know, I, I remember reading one anecdote of a poor child trying to do their math homework through their mother's cell phone. Oh, You know, like th- this is not the way you're supposed to teach kids. And uh, so my guess is all of those things cumulatively month by month added up to that loss of, again, 100,000 students. Um, you'd like to think that even teachers would look at that and say, wow, it's a really terrible disaster. we got to do everything we can to make up lost ground. And uh, no, but apparently not. You know what happens when you lose 100,000 students? You don't need as many teachers. So those of you that uh, decided that you just couldn't be in, in school, guess what? Some of you won't be because they just don't need as many people anymore when you lose that many students. It's, uh... It is the least effective way to reduce class sizes. <laughs> yes. It's a... It's a good way to put it. All right, Jim. Well, uh, another way to make school work, regular work, uh, whatever kind of work you have to do, much more tolerable, much more enjoyable, is to be able to do it in complete comfort, which you get to do every day thanks to your X chair. You know, I love my work, dear listeners, but there were times I used to dread sitting down at my desk. But I used to do that. Not anymore, because now I've got my X chair. Now, thanks to my X chair, I actually look forward to sitting in my office because my body feels so much more supported and comfortable. And more comfort means more productivity, helping my X chair pay for itself thanks to how much more work I'm getting done every day. And if I'm feeling tight or stressed, I just turn on the LMAX massage feature and choose from four different massage options. If the office is running too hot or too cold, I just flip on the LMAX temperature regulation and I can either heat or cool my lower back. And once you've felt the customized support of the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Take my advice, try the X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back, I promise. Go to xchairmartini.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Again, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, we've been all over the map, it seems, based on the reporting about... uh, where the negotiations between Biden and Putin are going in terms of uh, trying to ward off any sort of major Russian aggression against Ukraine. Uh, early December, it appeared that uh, Biden was really standing tough. Hey, there's going to be major consequences, man, if uh, if the Russian troops that are massed at the border decide to go into Ukraine. Then there were some reports about Biden thinking, hey, you know, we might be able to avert all this Ukraine if you just you know, give Russia a lot of the land they want. Uh, but now the, the talks continue. We still have very vague discussions of consequences if, uh, if Russia goes through with this. Uh, now we seem to be getting nowhere. Uh, Associated Press, the United States and Russia locked horns over Ukraine and other security issues Monday in Geneva with no sign of progress from either side at highly anticipated strategic talks. Low expectations from both Washington and Moscow about the high-stakes session appear to have been met as senior diplomats from the two countries emerged without offering any hint of success. Neither side characterized the meeting as a failure, but neither did they offer any prospect of easing the increasingly worrisome standoff over Russia's military buildup on its border with Ukraine. Uh, so, Jim, I, it met expectations. <laughs> that's, that's one level uh, checked off. But uh, in terms of uh, the U.S. really being in a position, it appears, to actually check Putin's 
ambitions, it would be pretty clear at this point as it pertains to Ukraine. Not a lot of uh, deterrence, it appears at this point. No, Greg, and maybe this should be a little bit of background here. Back on January 7th, a couple of days ago, NBC News reported uh, the Biden administration is heading into next week's talks with uh, ready to propose discussions on scaling back U.S. and Russian troop deployments and military exercises in Eastern Europe. In other words, the U.S. would not be sending as many U.S. troops for joint exercises and stuff like that to the Baltic states and Poland give Russia advance notice about the movement of forces and uh, and things like that. Now, this sounded like, well, uh, you know, Putin's frightening us. Putin is threatening us. So we're, here's the concessions we're willing to make to get Russia to stop doing this. Uh, now, for what it's worth, the administration said, no, this report is not true. It's absolutely not true. NBC attributed to uh, a current administration official and two former U.S. national security officials familiar with the planning. So maybe that's not true. I, I don't say clearly somebody is talking up this proposal, uh, but maybe it's not uh, actually a serious proposal. And they're just kind of spitballing this idea. I think it's a really terrible idea to go to you know, Vladimir Putin and say, well, we're really freaked out by what you're doing. So we really don't want you to invade Ukraine. So here's the concessions we're willing to make. Would you like some gold, Mr. Dingeld? Um, that kind of, you know, what what can we do to make you happy, Vladimir Putin? Um, now, with the current status of these negotiations, it doesn't sound like there's a lot that's going on. Um, there was the Russian Deputy Foreign Minister, Sergei Rabukov, who described the talks as, quote, difficult, long, very professional, specific, without any attempts to embellish anything to get around any sharp corners. Greg, I don't know if that sounds very Russian, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, like, the, the good news is we haven't, as far as we know, we haven't given them any concessions. The bad news is it doesn't sound like these negotiations are going anywhere. And it certainly sounded like if Russia, if Vladimir Putin did not get his way, he did not get the concessions he wanted to see, all these troops that are just sitting out there around uh, Ukraine on three sides are ready to move across the border. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Also, Russian media continues to be full of all kinds of talks about, you know, oh, there's going to be a false flag operation or Ukrainian separatists are, are getting ready to attack us or things like that. All the sorts of things that state media would do to prepare a population for war. Does this mean I, we're certain war is going to happen? No. I, I think, you know, there's, I believe the last assessment from U.S. intelligence that got leaked was that Vladimir Putin doesn't know what he's going to do yet. He wants to see what happens. But the prospects of war between Russia and Ukraine certainly don't seem to be that much uh, lessened as the new year continues. And I think uh, whatever approach the Biden administration took into these negotiations doesn't appear to be getting anywhere. Um, and even, you know, I, I wasn't liking the talk of concessions. And it certainly does not appear that the, the good news is they don't seem to be making too many concessions. The bad news is we're right back where we started again. And certainly doesn't seem like there's any type of, you said, intimidation or deterrence uh, or clear enough communicate. Clearly nothing the Biden administration has said has made Vladimir Putin say, well, I better not do this. The consequences would be terrible. There might be one concession in the works here, which is not good. This was yesterday, Jake Sherman over at Punchbowl. We cited him earlier this week and his good writing about how Joe Manchin is not changing on the filibuster anytime soon. Uh, he tweeted this out yesterday. New State Department has dispatched officials to Capitol Hill to lobby Senate Democrats against Ted Cruz's Nord Stream 2 sanctions bill. So, Jim, I don't know the exact details of the sanctions bill against Nord Stream 2, but remember, that's where the Biden administration signed off on Germany and others in Europe getting their uh, critically uh, needed energy needs from Russia instead of us. Uh, you know, the uh, previous administrations had had blocked that. But uh, Biden, who was supposed to get tough on Russia, uh, greenlighted it without much of a fight at all. And now they're uh, uh, trying to stop the Senate Democrats from uh, from sanctioning anything. So uh, if this is their tack towards Russia, I can see why Russia is not all that intimidated. Look, it's it's a 
we're setting a very hard line. We're being very tough by Russia by allowing them to export more natural gas. That'll teach them. <laughs> if you don't mess it around, we're going to make you really rich. Take that. Better watch yourself, Vlad. Come on, man. Aren't these the same people who claim that natural gas is bad for the environment? And so yes, we, yes. We, and that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> so we can't do it domestically, but the Russians, you know, anyway. What well, their you? pipelines don't pollute, only ours. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Well, after that dizzying display, you might need to uh, lay down and, and regain your balance for a minute. Get a my pillow if you want to do that, though. Or the sheets, or the towels, or the slippers. I think I love the my slippers more than any other product, and I do sincerely love them all. I have had the my slippers now for a long time. I hardly ever walk around the house without them. And right now, you can get them at a great deal because right now, the My Slippers are 40% off when you use our code Martini at MyPillow.com. Now, these just aren't any slippers. These slippers, the My Slippers, spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. They're designed to be worn all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They're available in moccasin or slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're made with quality leather suede and the exclusive three-tier cushioning system. This includes the MyPillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. And for a limited time, MyPillow is offering 40% off the new MySlippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or use that code when you call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save 40% on the new MySlippers with our promo code Martini. So use that code when you call 800-874-0104 or when you go to MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And this is kind of a a whiplash issue again for the Biden administration. Uh, First of all, it claimed the supply chain issues weren't happening. Or if they were happening, it wasn't a big deal and it's not contributing to uh, price increases and, and things like that. Then when things seem to be getting better right around the holidays... President Biden saved Christmas. What is better than that? And now, uh, a few weeks later, uh, things are not good again. Uh, We were just uh, in the store not that long ago. Uh, My wife was there when I-95 was shut down due to the whole traffic thing. So I think uh, some food trucks might have gotten stuck there. Uh, Milk was very low. Uh, She had... uh, she was under the weather, not COVID, uh, a little while ago. And so I went to the drugstore to get some pain meds for her. And I noticed those shelves were pretty thin. But you've got a, a long uh, lineup here in the Jolt today, Jim, from everywhere from near us in Richmond to Atlanta, Portland, Knoxville, Tennessee, Daytona, Houston, Dallas. I mean, all across the country about staples, not just uh, you know things you, you might grab on a lark, but food, meat. Uh, all sorts of stuff that uh, just isn't there or isn't there in very big supplies and runs out quickly. Yeah, so this actually, today's jolt was actually inspired by my colleague, Dominic Pino, who's been keeping an eye on those ports out in Los Angeles and Long Beach. He reported yesterday, as of Friday, which I guess would be the 7th, right? Yes, the January 7th, there were 105 ships waiting for berths in Los Angeles and Long Beach, the highest number ever. Right. So remember you were, oh, we got it fixed. It's getting this great progress. Well, what you heard was back in November, the port authorities adopted this new measuring system. There was a big storm coming out. They didn't want too many ships all in the same place. So they told the ships to go further out to sea. 
Oh, so they're no longer waiting for a birth, so they don't count anymore. Now they're still wait, they still need a, a docking spot. It's still, you know, uh, you know, the same old familiar story of, of too many ships and not enough parking spaces, so to speak. And uh, you know, but they like, oh no, we we reduced it. Well, no, you changed the way you count it. You didn't actually get them uh reduce, you know, change the number of ships that are waiting out there. The um, so he noticed that, and I'm like, okay, and just like you, um, last week. I was doing a little bit of shopping. And then on Sunday, uh, Mrs. Garrity went to the local Trader Joe's. And, you know, we, uh, the listeners of this podcast know, you know, Virginia had, Northern Virginia had real snow on Monday. <clears throat> this would be January 4th, right? So, you know, okay, so maybe a, trip, uh, a truck gets delayed or something. There was that massive pile up on I-95. Maybe that's a problem Monday or Tuesday. Sunday night, apparently Trader Joe's was just empty. Like you just, there was like nothing on the shelves. And you're just kind of left scratching your head saying, this shouldn't be a weather issue from Monday This or a big traffic issue from Tuesday. This is now like, you know, nearly a week later. Why is this going on? So I decided to look around and just say, what's going on with, with uh, supply chain issues? Because you just weren't seeing nearly as much of this in the national news coverage. Well, once you start looking, and in particular, what I was really fascinated by was how much coverage of this there was by local network, network news affiliates. Uh, so maybe you're not seeing it on the front page of the Washington Post. Maybe you're not seeing it on the front page of the New York Times or uh, other publications. You know, we all, we all just spend all week focusing on January 6th. That's a huge deal. And now, now Biden's speaking in Georgia about voting rights. That's the biggest issue in the world. The issue of supply chain problems did not go away. And in fact, you know, so all this talk about, you know, uh, you know this, the, the victory lap that Biden took shortly before Christmas. And you may remember Ron Klain uh, sharing a New York Times article and declaring supply chain issues were a, quote, overhyped narrative, unquote. Well, you're not imagining it, right? There's this hashtag going around, um, Biden, empty shelves, Biden, or Biden, empty shelves, or something like that. Now, you see, you can find people saying, well, you know, these, these hashtags are being promoted by right-wing people. Okay, but you're not hallucinating empty shelves at your stores. And whenever I talk about this, I always say, well, I went to Trader Joe's, and I thought there's plenty of stuff on there. Oh, there's plenty of stuff in my Giant or my Safeway or something. Look, the complaint about supply chains is not that every shelf in every store everywhere in the country is, is empty. The complaint is that you go to the store and all of a sudden something you expect to be there isn't there. And oftentimes they don't know when they're going to get the next shipment in. And sometimes it's very minor. I found an article about where they said a local restaurant didn't have curly fries anymore. So they had to go with straight French fries. Look, nobody's going to have a, a, a you know, conniption over that. Well, maybe some people freak out about that, but they really shouldn't. Right. That's nothing. But then they talk about oncologists who can't get cancer drugs. That's a really big deal. Right. I mentioned the issues with uh, snow and stuff like that. I found a couple of localities where they'd ordered uh, they, you know, eight new dump trucks so they could spread salt and, and brine and sand and stuff like that. Well, the dump trucks haven't arrived because of supply chain issues, right? There are other ones that are having snow removal equipment hasn't come in yet. This is a really big deal. I think there was one guy who said that they've got the, the uh, snow plows and, and all the right equipment for it, but they don't have any spare parts. So if they have any problems, if any of them breaks, as he said, basically they're gonna be, it's going to be a parking lot out there. These are real problems. And this is you know, one of the things that just drives me nuts about this administration is we have to, you know, because they did it on inflation. They did it on the border. They did it on Afghanistan. Every single time some big problem comes along, you generally see folks on the right saying, oh, yeah, this is a big problem coming along. And the Biden administration is, ah, this is right wing propaganda. Everything's fine. You know, come on, man. And then we have to spend time arguing. No, this really is a problem. This really is something you guys should be taking care of. 
And they spend, you know, an X number of weeks or months in this ludicrous tap dance insisting, no, 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 you're just being Jedi mind tricked. The shelves are full. Now, of course, you know, since I shared that this morning, lots of people are sharing this stuff. Uh, are saying, hey, actually, yeah, I just went to the store and they didn't have any meat. They didn't have any cat food. It's also these like random things. And you might be like, oh, big deal if nobody's got any cat food. Well, if you got a cat, that's a big deal, <laughs> right? You know, uh, kids drinks, right? You know, um, the other thing which is really shortage, which I don't think is entirely, like it's a supply chain issue, but it's also probably the skyrocketing demand issue, apparently all over Texas. Uh, cold medicine, all the, you know, post-nasal drip and pills, Sudafed, Advil, all that kind of stuff. Empty shelves, can't find it. And the other thing, which again, you know, read the morning jolt if you want, you can find stories quite literally from Honolulu, Hawaii to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, right? Some of these places, Washington State, yeah, it's probably they had a big snowstorm come through, closed down the roads, and you couldn't get through, and that's part of the issue. I think, you know, yes, we have a supply. Is this a labor shortage? Yes. Is this probably Omicron and people calling in sick? Yeah, it's probably an issue too. But you do that on top of the supply chain issue. And suddenly things are much, much worse. And I can't believe this administration did it again, where they said, oh, look, we have a little bit of improvement. Things are fixed. And here we are two weeks later. No, it's not fixed. It's not the supply chain crisis went away. It's just the media stopped talking about it for a couple of days. And that was all it took for this administration to start patting themselves on the back. <laughs> Jim, our concerns will soon be alleviated, though, because Pete Buttigieg is going out to Long Beach and L.A. to look at the ports and see what's happening there. And so I imagine within about 48 hours, we're going to get a grand vision for high-speed rail from China and Japan to get all this stuff here. So that way, we won't be dependent on two ports. We'll just have to build you know, a, a massive uh, system that goes through Asia, across Alaska, and all the way to the United States. And given the success and efficiency and affordability of high-speed rail, I'm sure that'll happen right away. California, they know about it. <laughs> Some of us remember True Detective Season 2. But anyway, I'm looking forward to Buttigieg's speech. I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say about paternity leave. <laughs> By the way, like, you know, we can have that discussion, but I, there's, it's been really annoying how often Buttigieg, people have said, Yo, you've been out while, like, we don't usually don't care what the heck the Secretary of Transportation is doing. While you've been out, we've had a giant supply chain crisis that's affecting stores all across the country. And Interstate 95 turned into like a, an absolute nightmare of, of nobody can get anywhere. And the attitude is, Yes, but let me talk to you about the importance of paternity leave. Is there any member of this cabinet or even the president himself that gives you any confidence in any crisis? Chirp, chirp. <laughs> I think that I think that speaks for itself. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends about us as well. Uh, thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a big help to us. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.